Thanks for tuning in. I'm Shelby. I'm Renee. And you're listening to The Creepy Burrito. Today is the day. Today's the day. Today we are covering our very first serial killer right here on the Creepy Burrito. To celebrate our 500 likes on Facebook, we're going to have a killer giveaway. Hint, hint, wink, wink. So if you don't already like us, hop your pretty ass over to Facebook and give us a thumbs up so you can stay tuned next week for further details. On our killer, hint, hint, wink, wink, giveaway. But before we dive in, we're going to read those sweet-ass reviews. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Our first review is from Jessica. And what she had to say was, Absolutely love this podcast. I look forward to every Wednesday to get lost in the sauce with these two lovely ladies. I love all the research the two of you provide, and I love your energy. Keep it up. And always love and respect you. Well, we love and respect the fuck out of you, Jessica. Hell yeah. Our next review comes from Chelsea. And she says, Lit. (laughs) If you like spoopy stuff and can appreciate two best friends having a good time doing something they enjoy, then look no further because the creepy burrito is for you. Well, you know what, Chelsea? You are for the creepy burrito. Oh yeah, we are for you and you are for us. We are the burrito. Get lost in us, Chelsea. Our next sweet ass review is on iTunes from Chubzilla1971, giving us five stars. Titled as, his name was Robert Paulson. What Chubzilla had to say was, finally, the void left by Jesse Ventura's conspiracy theory has been filled overfilled and saucy well thank you very much chubzilla 1971 without further ado today we are talking about a shitbag known by many names <laughs> we'll start it off with many names the screen door intruder the valley intruder walk-in killer ricky the thief fingers until he was finally came to be known as the night stalker the one, the only, Richard Ramirez. What a dick. piece of shit. <laughs> what a dick. Richard Ramirez is still relevant today, making a big appearance on American Horror Story 1984 season. And if you did not jump on that bandwagon, highly recommended. I fucking love the 80s. It's all like 80s horror film like themed, and it's dope as shit. Outside of 1984... If you uh, are a big Zach Douche Baggins fan, <laughs> of which me and Renee, we, we actually are. are. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's it's too funny to like not watch. It's like watching a a car crash. Like, yeah. you can't look away. You know, it makes you a bad person for watching it. 
but you watch it anyways. <laughs> but uh, there was an episode where Zach Baggins is in the basement of the DeSoto Hotel in El Paso, Texas, and just, like, summoning fucking the spirit of Richard Ramirez, apparently in a basement where he had done, like, satanic rituals. We're not going to get into that today, but, you know, he's still relevant in today's day. Yeah. Today's day. <laughs> today's the day. So, if you don't know who Richard Ramirez was, or what a serial killer is, uh, this is your warning. Why? So, Why are you listening to this podcast? Why are you listening to this episode? So, this is your warning. He was a serial killer, and serial killer doesn't mean he was just chowing down on endless amounts of Captain Crunch. Little bitchy Richie was the fucking worst, mm-hmm. and that is going through drugs, to Satanism, creeping, thieving, raping, and murdering. So, if you get to a point where it's too much, feel free to use that little 30-second skip-ahead button. You may need it. Or tune back in when we're not talking about rape and murder and shit. Now that we all know what we're getting into, I guess the best place to start is the beginning. Or I guess I should have said before the beginning, because before Richard Ramirez was even born, his mother, Mercedes Ramirez, worked in a boot factory... While she was pregnant, she was constantly exposed to chemical fumes without any open windows, fans, masks, zero ventilation in this building. And she would frequently get dizzy, tired, nauseated. Her and her sister, they both actually worked in the factory together. And over the weekend, so when they were away from work, they would get withdrawals because they weren't inhaling Inhaling. the chemicals. So their body was actually going through withdrawal when they're outside of work and getting, like, physically sick. Christ. And it got to the point, because she was pregnant, that she had decided to go see a specialist. And the specialist had told her that if she wanted to keep the baby, she would need to stop working in the factory because all the toxic chemicals would kill her unborn child. At this point... When she decided to quit her job, she was already five months into her pregnancy. Yikes. So, already damaged while you're baking in the oven. (laughs) Baking a toxic baby in there. (laughs) Richard Ramirez was born in El Paso, Texas on February 29th of 1960. He was the youngest child of Julian and Mercedes Ramirez's five children. Two of his older siblings suffered from birth defects that were suspected to be due to the U.S. government conducting nuclear bomb tests nearby uh, Los Alamo. At the time, Mercedes and Julian, uh, and sorry if I'm putting my Pennsylvania twang on all these names, but it's going to happen. I mean, to me, I read that as Mercedes and Julian, so my bad. But anyways, so at the time, Mercedes and Julian, they were living in Juarez, That's just over the border in Mexico when she was pregnant with her two children. Not at the same time, different times. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) I mean, you could be twins. You could be twins. They could be. But anyways, they weren't. (laughs) (laughs) It was just within that time span. His oldest brother, Ruben, had like golf ball sized lumps on his neck and his back. And then the second oldest was Joseph. He had uh, Collier's disease. So what that does, it, it caused your bones to grow curved. So, like, when he would walk, his one leg was, like, noticeably, like, longer than the other. Oh. hmm He did have two other siblings, Robert and Ruth. They're probably the two healthiest children out of the Ramirez family. But when little bitchy Richie 
which is what I will probably call him throughout this episode because I like it and I think it's funny and he was a vile person. And when little bitchy Richie was just two years old, a dresser fell on top of him and nearly killed him. And he was knocked unconscious and suffered severe laceration on his head. And if that wasn't enough, what really did him in is when he was five years old, he was, again, knocked unconscious by a swing. His sister was, like, swinging and, like, knocked into him. After the swing had knocked him unconscious and that whole incident, he started to experience epileptic seizures and was later diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy. And if you haven't heard about serial killers past before... Head trauma is a common factor between a large amount of serial killers. For example, there was John Wayne Gacy, who also got hit by a swing when he was a child and was knocked unconscious. And then Son of Sam was hit by a car. That's another head trauma. Ed Gein, beaten by his father. Leading to another common ingredient to building a serial killer is an abusive father. His father, Julian, was a real hard ass. Like, before all these kids, he was drafted in the army and was a police officer in Juarez, Mexico, after the family was deported. Then, after their third child was born, they moved back to El Paso, and he worked for the Santa Fe Railroad. So, we're talking, like, hard as a motherfucker. He had a history of getting, like, blackout angry. In one fit of rage, he was working on his car, and then when a filter didn't fit, he got so pissed that he started cursing, which is reasonable, because, like, I get it. I get pissed, and I start screaming at stuff but he starts banging his fucking head against the house until blood is dripping down his face and not to mention that's like outside where neighbors can see you i can't imagine how scary it must have been behind closed doors if that's what's happening in the sight of everybody what a psycho Mm mm-hmm And when the kids would act up, he would try to beat it out of them. One incident, when Ruben brought home a bad report card, Julian had beat him with a water hose. Oh. Just for a bad report card. Mm. Ouch. Yeah. But all of the Ramirez kids had their father's temperament of flying off the handle and not being able to control their anger and breaking shit and getting into fights at school. To escape his violent father, 12-year-old little bitchy Richie started hanging out with his older cousin Miguel, or also known as Mike Ramirez, who just so happened to be a decorated U.S. Army Green Beret combat veteran. They would smoke weed together, and Miguel would boast about his time in Vietnam, but it wasn't just gruesome war stories. He would tell little Richie about how he would torture and rape multiple women. If telling him wasn't bad enough, he showed Richard actual fucking photos of his gruesome exploits. In one of the photos, Miguel was posing with one of the women's severed heads, which is a lot for a a 12-year-old boy. This is a pretty defining moment that created his outlook on connecting sex and violence at a very young age. In addition to this whole shit show, he decided to take little Richie under his wing and teach him military skills like killing with stealth, using guns and knives. What a great role model to look up to. All the shit that you teach your children. Mm, it's, mm, yikes. Who needs hooked on phonics when you can fucking stealth kill? <laughs> right. <laughs> Around this time, he started to sneak out of the house at night to sleep in a local cemetery. I mean, which... I, I mean, yeah. I kind of get like teenagers, you go, you hang around a cemetery. That's kind of normal, but... just didn't want to be home around his abusive dickhead father. 
who's basically like going through Boy Scout training to be a murderer, just going around collecting his creeper badges. His badges, yeah. Like stealth mode. Got it. Got my knife badge. Check. <laughs> Sleeping in a cemetery. Check. Just building up those badges to be a little bitch boy. <laughs> One day, little Dicky Richie was over at Miguel's apartment and they were playing pool. He goes to the fridge to get a can of Coke, and in the fridge, he sees Miguel's pistol on the top shelf. Logically, he asks, you know, like, why the fuck do you have a gun in your fridge? Yeah. Miguel casually says he might have to use it later and wanted to keep it cool. Like, oh, okay, like, are you trying to be, trying to be a badass, bro? Are you trying to show off your gun to mm. your little cousin? Right. Find a reason? This 12-year-old boy, you trying to... Like he needs any more fucking violence in his life? Right? Well, it's just gonna keep getting worse. You're gonna see a trend with his life. Mm-hmm. We're gonna keep going downhill until we can't go further, Steadily. guys. <laughs> Steadily downhill decline. When Miguel's wife, Jessie, came home with her two kids... She was pissed because he was home all day playing pool with his cousin instead of looking for a fucking job. Just unemployed, hanging out, doing nothing. I would also be pissed. Agreed. Miguel walks over to the fridge, takes out the gun, and told her to shut her mouth. Jesse dared him to shoot her, of which I would too be like, fucking try me. I'm out there fucking working the grind, watching these kids, and you're here pissing around the house, playing pool, unemployed, like a dick. Meanwhile, this is all in front of their two kids. Plus, little Richie. Miguel then shoots her point blank in the face. Jesse drops to the ground and died within seconds. Yikes. Mm-hmm. That'll fuck up some kids. Mm, that'll fuck you up. So, after being a witness to a murder, Richard is kind of in shock. He became sullen and withdrawal. He never told anyone what he had seen. And just a few days after the murder... Miguel had Richard and his father, Julia, go to the apartment to pick up some valuables like jewelry for him. Jesse's blood was still stained to the floor in the very place where he had seen her die. Hit him right in the fucking feels. Let's hear what little Dickie Richie had to say about this experience. That day, when I went back to that apartment, it was like some sort of mystical experience. It was all quiet and still and hot in there. You could smell the dry blood. Particles of dust just seemed to hover in the air. I looked at the place where Jesse had fallen and died, and I got this kind of tingly feeling. It was the strangest thing. Then my father told me to look into her pocketbook for this jewelry my cousin wanted, and I dumped out Jesse's pocketbook on the bed and looked through her things, and she was dead, murdered, gone, and I was touching her things. It made me feel in contact with her. Ew. Yeah. So, like, this woman that is, like, essentially family that was murdered in front of you, and this is how he feels. He feels tingly, giddy, connected. He's also a douchebag and is probably just making this all up and doesn't even remember what he felt. Mm. He's very show Bodhi, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you were wondering what happened to Miguel, he was never punished for the war crimes he committed in Vietnam. I'm assuming that the police came up the Polaroids that he had and the trophies that he had from Vietnam. But he was never convicted of those crimes. He did go to trial for murdering his wife, but pled insanity due to untreated PTSD. Miguel was sentenced to just four years in a mental institution for the murder and kept in contact with little Dickie Richie. Of course he did. Uh, And also kept in contact after the fact. 
uh, when he got out four years later. Before Miguel's dark, influential hold on Lil Dicky Richie, he was relatively normal despite the bursts of anger or being a bit of a loner or listening to metal music. I mean, who the fuck doesn't love metal? Right. I don't know if his cousin Miguel, if he would have just died in Nam, how many years, like, how many lives would have been saved from that? If the monster himself would have died, would Richard Ramirez still become the Night Stalker? Maybe, maybe not. Richard did not have any positive male role models in his life to look up to. He was some sick combination of all the evil qualities of men surrounding him. And don't worry, there was more of them following Miguel. After his cousin Miguel was committed, Richard continued to expand his horizon in shitbaggery. During the summer, he left El Paso to visit his older brother Ruben in Los Angeles. Ruben was also a break-in artist, so they would spend brotherly bonding time by going in, breaking into homes, doing normal family shit right now. Not to mention the downtown sex workers and sex shops in the windows, a city engulfed in everything Richard wanted at the ripe age of 12. Later that year, Richard would come back to L.A. to move in with his older sister Ruth and her husband Roberto. Roberto follows suit with the rest of the male figures in Richard's life. He was an obsessive peeping Tom. Roberto would spend his time going around the neighborhood to stalk women and peek through their windows. Like Miguel, Roberto decides to take in little Richie under his wing to help him get the Boy Scout creeper badge that he's been looking for. Hmm. Showed him all the best peeping spots and how not to get caught. Ew. Very creepy. Yeah. Very ew. Don't like. I mean, little Dicky Richie, he was a great student at learning the skills to become the worst. Oh, God. He would practice even just breaking into people's homes while they were there. Just to see if he could get away with it. What a fucking asshole. Yeah. Getting a little bit ballsy here, buddy. Yeah. (laughs) Just a little bit much. Like, could you imagine that? You're just chilling out inside your home. Like, you always think that you're safe because who the fuck's just going to barge into your house while you're there? Especially if they're trying to steal shit. In broad daylight. In broad daylight. So, yeah. He was just trying to test his boundaries, see what he could do, what he could get away with. And while he was still in school, he worked at a Holiday Inn. He would use his pass key to rob sleeping guests or hide in closets to watch women undress. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> he was promptly fired. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's my biggest fucking nightmare, staying in hotels. Yeah. Is because you don't know what's in there. Cameras. In there. Cameras. Mirrors. Ooh. Yeah, but... uh. Anyway. This is this is definitely about to get a lot worse. He was abruptly fired after trying to rape a hotel guest. He was hiding in the closet, like the worst that he was. And when she walked past the closet, he jumps out, tackles her, gags her with underwear, told her not to scream or look at him. He tied her up and attempted to rape her when her husband comes into the room. Thank God. Right? But, like, what if he didn't? Like, what a piece of shit. And, like, he's still in school at this time, and he drops out of high school by ninth grade. So this is before fucking ninth grade, and he's this shitty of a person. But anyway, so her husband walks into the room, and he basically just fucking loses his shit and beats the shit out of Richard. Like, 
thank God. Like, be that badass you are. Like, I don't give a fuck if you're a kid, but if you're trying to do this type of shit, that's insane. Like, I'm surprised this man did not kill him. It would have saved everyone a lot of trouble. Yeah. They had called the police, but didn't file any charges since they lived out of state and didn't want to have to come Uh, back for the court proceedings. Fuck that. I'm petty. I would have. Oh, Little Dicky Rich he got out of this was being knocked out in some stitches. By ninth grade, he dropped out of school and throughout his teenage years started experimenting with more drugs and started dabbling in LSD. Who does he talk to when he tripped? None other than Satan himself. What I find that's interesting is LSD causes an increased random brain activity and is said to give people a heightened state of consciousness. When you mix the feeling of a heightened state of consciousness and you feel that you're superior and know-all, plus being a sadistic motherfucker with a dark past, it's just asking for trouble. I feel like it just manifests a god complex, or I guess in Richard's case, a demon complex. Kind of like other killers that had god complexes, like I feel like, would be Jim Jones or like Charles Manson, Mm -hmm. because they both used LSD and they would use it as a tool either on people or they were addicted to it themselves like taking LSD and then they felt like they knew everything that it was unlocking parts of their brains and they were the only ones that were woke (laughs) in his teenage years one drug that he did always go back to was smoking weed um some sources said that his seizures stopped when he started smoking Then, when he was 17, he was arrested in El Paso, Texas for possession of weed um, and got a misdemeanor theft charge in 1977, followed by two other arrests for possession in 1978 and 82. So he was always consistently, like, going back to smoking weed and getting these possession charges. When he was 18, he lived up to his 12-year-old boy's dreams and made his move to L.A., Living on his own, unconfined by anyone, he did basically whatever he wanted, which was living on a steady diet of drugs and candy. Mm. Little Richie found cocaine and spiraled quickly from there. Because he wasn't snorting it, he liked the intensity of the high from injecting. He felt his cocaine highs brought him closer to his beloved Satan. Barreling through cocaine isn't cheap. So what does he turn to? What he knows. Burglary! I mean, it's not like he really learned how to do anything else, so he stayed within his skill set there. And if he had enough money after he got his fix for the night, he would stay at cheap hotels on Skid Row, like the Frontier or the famous, the Cecil Hotel. Cecil, yeah. Yeah, which is known for like the Lisa Lamb case, which is separate thing, maybe Mm -hmm. down the line. Just wait for it. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. But for the most part, slept in stolen cars. He was notorious for always being in a different stolen vehicle, which helped him out later down the road because it was hard to track him down in future cases since he was always in a different stolen vehicle, never in the same predictable car. Now, cocaine wasn't the only devil's candy he dabbled with. He went from cocaine to PCP. Wow, just jumped right up there, huh? Just in case the cocaine didn't make him fucking raging already, then just sprinkle some PCP on that shit sandwich. There was this incident where he met this woman on the streets that was looking for PCP. And they go to her apartment, smoke for a while. He tried to come on to her, but was immediately shot down. Mm -hmm. He left when they ran out of the drugs at like 3 a.m. And just so happens to unlock the fucking window without her knowing it. He waited on the roof of the building 
and waited until she was sleeping to sneak back into her apartment, then gags her, ties her up, and repeatedly raped her. He loved the entire experience being able to put his twisted fucking fantasies into a reality. During his drug spiral stage, he starts getting more serious about his thoughts on Satanism. Like, up to this point, he's just doing drugs, thinking he's talking to Satan, listening to a whole bunch of ACDC, Judas Priest, and, like, Billy Idol. He started reading Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible and went to a public Church of Satan service. What I don't understand is that after going to the service, he considered himself a Satanist. But the problem with that is... Levian Satanism, they don't believe in supernatural beings or life after death. Practitioners do not believe Satan literally exists or do not like worship him as like a deity. What contradicts that is that Richard says when he's high, he talks to Satan or while he's in the service, he had described that he had felt the icy cold hand of Satan on his shoulder, which would be an oxymoron. Yeah. So that leads me to believe he really didn't read into what Levian Satanism is, or maybe he is a Satanist. When he refers to Satan, it's just symbolic for his innermost desires. In Levian Satanism, Satan is viewed as a positive figure representing pride, carnality, enlightenment, but in Christianity, Satan is a symbol of defiance and sin. So Levian Satanists criticize Christians for suppressing human, and I say this loosely, natural instincts, and encourage irrationality. By no means am I saying Satanists go around raping, murdering people, but I believe in his own drugged out head, he took some of the basic principles of Levian Satanism and completely twisted them to give him justification for what he wanted to do and for all of his actions right literally just gives a bad name to satanism basically like twists the whole thing around to say i'm just giving in to my inner urges and justifying why he's being empowered by giving in to his innermost desires yeah i feel like that's the best way you can probably explain how that would work fucking showboaty fucking piece of shit sure is maybe you just like the aesthetic like oh ACDC, metal, mm, Satan. What a bastard. Fucking piece of shit. Well, he was a piece of shit. He smelled like a piece of shit. Yeah, he sure fucking did. Well, as if I know that he fucking smells. (laughs) You smelled him before you went there? (laughs) He smells like a piece of shit. (laughs) Another innermost desire of little Dickie Richie is to have a diet consisting of candy and only candy. On top of that... He didn't want to brush his fucking teeth, so he developed a stanky case of halitosis, which, I mean, I just fucking can't. Like, you know me and, like, teeth things. I get super geeked out. Yeah. Mm. And especially, like, with this COVID stuff, like, where we have to wear our masks. One time I was in a store, and I burped, and I thought I was going to fucking puke. <laughs> so, like, I don't understand, like, how he's walking around, smelling his own stanky breath and his own stanky blind. cells. Or... Even more common, when you wake up in the morning, you got that fuzzy teeth feeling. Oh, I hate that. Or in the evening, like before bed, like you're staying up real late. It's 3 a.m. You've just done a whole bunch of drugs. Your teeth have to have fuzz. So I just fucking can't. But just imagine just eating fucking candy. He's not eating anything else because he's literally garbage. If he's not brushing his teeth and it fucking sits on his fucking teeth and that just fucking cavity. You're going to rot him. Mm -hmm. If the drugs aren't already... Destroying your fucking mouth. That candy sure will. Look at his fucking teeth and pictures are fucking horrid. The whole Richie Ramirez story. It's basically just a tale to make sure kids brush their teeth. (laughs) (laughs) But 
If his catship breath didn't deter you, he also didn't shower often. His body odor was described as wet leather. That's disgusting. Mm Mm-hmm. I wonder if all the women that thought he was so dreamy or hot during his trial would have been just as obsessed with him if they got within smelling distance. Not to mention the toll that all the drugs took on him, not taking care of himself. Like, as a general human, like, you can see it in his skin, on his face. Like, he looked like he was road hard, put away wet. He looked like he smelled like wet leather. Yeah, he looked like he smelled like a piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, being the piece of shit he was... Richard was a drifter. Even though he felt home within the deplorable confines of Skid Row, he spent time in the 80s in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco. He would drift back and forth between the two, staying in high-crime areas where he felt home. In 2009, evidence traced back to Richard's first known killing. On April 10th of 1984, nine-year-old May, also known as Linda, Leong's body was discovered in the basement of an apartment building in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco. He had raped and beat this little girl before stabbing her to death. Her body was left hanging from a water pipe. An inspector described it as, If you can picture Christ on the cross, that's the way she looked. Her head was dropped and her chin was down. The news cashed in on that statement when it originally came out and would spin the murder as a ritualistic in nature. In 2009, Detective Holly Perry was working on the cold case and ran a 25-year-old DNA sample that had been found at the murder scene that had matched for Richard Ramirez. In 2016, they had disclosed evidence of a second suspect, also identified by DNA that is believed to be present at the time of May Leung's murder, but they have not publicly released any of the names for the second suspect. They had only described as a juvenile at the time of her murder and no charges due to the lack of evidence. After that murder, he had went on his merry way back to Skid Row, right back in his old groove of doing a shit ton of cocaine and stealing to support his drug dependency. A typical Wednesday on Skid Row, Richard spends all of his money to buy drugs from his older brother, Robert, then promptly burns through all the drugs that he just bought, For the night is dark and full of terrors, he starts looking for a score so that he can go ahead, buy more drugs. He decided to park his stolen car of the week next to a cemetery at Glossal Park, a lower income neighborhood, and decides to go on prowl by foot. Creeper mode activated. He sees a window of opportunity. By that, I mean an actual fucking open window in an apartment building. Of course. Of course. After he gets into the apartment through the window, he's looking around and isn't finding the loot that he was looking for in the usual hideaways. Because after breaking into so many houses, everyone hides the same jewelry and the same places and items that you can fucking pawn off for money. Plus, he said this was in a low-class neighborhood. Yeah, it was a... Yeah, they probably don't have much. Yeah, there were sources that said he started off in a high-class neighborhood, but he wasn't... He didn't feel right about any of the places. I don't know. Maybe Satan was telling him, like, don't go in there, bro. It's a bad idea. <laughs> but, yeah, so he moved on to a lower class neighborhood. So this is after prowling for, like, a little bit. Gotcha. So he's starting to get, like, more and more pissed off going throughout the apartment, not finding anything. Meanwhile, 79-year-old Jenny Van Cow sound asleep in her bed. She was woken up to... Richard's black eyes, bad breath, smelly ass with a six-inch hunting knife on her chest. 
On June 28, 1984, authorities found her in her bed, brutally raped, her throat cut so deeply she was almost decapitated and stabbed multiple times. Later, Ramirez would be linked to this murder from a fingerprint that was found on the screen of the window that he had removed to get into the apartment. Even with his first killings, there's a major difference. Both did not fit a specific profile. Like some serial killers, they tend to have a specific type that they're targeting or a profile that they're trying to fit into. But Richard Ramirez was in it for the thrill in the moment deciding if he would rape, strangle, shoot, stab, what he would do. He had a wide variety when it came to who he had killed, how he had killed his victims, or even who he let get away because he didn't kill everyone that he came in contact with. Just looking at Richard Ramirez's killing career overall, he would definitely be considered a sociopath because sociopaths are made through life experiences and traumas manufactured in society and they can still form bonds with certain individuals as opposed to psychopaths. Psychopaths are incapable of feeling any normal range of emotions and meticulously planned murders like Ted Bundy did or John Wayne Gacy for like example. But Ramirez had emotional outbursts and was more spontaneous on what he was going to do based on what kind of debauchery he was going to get into for the day on what he was feeling. He was in it for the stimulation, thrill-seeking, he liked the sex and violence that went along with the whole entire territory of becoming the fucking monster that he was, which we will be covering more of in part two. Cliffhanger! This is where I will leave you in 1984. Richard took a bit of a cooling period, so I decided we are too. When we come back in part two, we're going to pick back up in 1985 to talk about the rest of Richard Ramirez's brutal murders, capture, and trial. So, how do you feel so far? Not good. Not good at all. You're not going to feel any gooder. Great. (laughs) But you know what will make you feel good? If you look at our great memes that we have on Facebook. Instagram. And Twitter. At the Creepy Burrito. Or, if you want to feel even better, write us a review. Hell yeah. Do that on iTunes, or on Facebook, and you can give us ratings on whatever your streaming app is. And we'll shout you the fuck out. Shouted. Outed. <laughs> also, but. if you want to just hit us up, we got an email. You can email us at thecreepyburrito at gmail.com or slide into our DMs. <laughs> yeah, on that Facebook. On that Facebook, The Creepy Burrito. We're very responsive. Very responsive. <laughs> you can see it on our Facebook page. Just like the, the page and then you'll know. And yeah. And you'll be part of the burrito. So we'll see you next week to get lost in that fucking stanky sauce with us again. <laughs> so stanky. Halitosis. Smells like a bag of dicks rotting in the sun. Disgusting. 150,000 degree weather. And on that note, bye-bye.
he started reading Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible. Satanic Bible. <laughs> it's me, Church Shelby, here. And read her Bible. And read her Bible. 